Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in productivity and career development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and I'm happy to give you ideas that can elevate your leadership role in your current or perhaps your future nonprofit organization. Thanks for listening and for all of your feedback. Delighted to bring you these weekly conversations with nonprofit leaders who are truly on the cutting edge of strategy and philanthropy. I've got a fantastic conversation to share with you this week. It's with Lisa Baxter, who's the director of Major Gifts at the Martin Luther King Community Health Foundation in Los Angeles. Now, Lisa's had a very successful experience in nonprofit leadership, but like many of you, she didn't seek out the nonprofit path. In fact, it sought her. And the path has not always been very accommodating to her. And Lisa contemplated leaving the sector, but her resilience and resourcefulness really provides some great ideas for your leadership development. We discussed her current strategies and routines that help her balance work and family and how she's, how she's even more intentional about evaluating the value of her time. We also talked about her daily approach to lifelong learning and how it's really helped her forge a path toward senior leadership in the sector. And finally, she shares a whole bookshelf worth of resources that she's relied on, and I know you'll enjoy her recommendations. Don't forget to check out the show notes. This is episode number 55. Just go to the podcast or the news page at PattonMcDowell.com, and you'll find out all about the resources, some links, as well as all those books that Lisa discussed, and certainly ways to follow her and the great work she's doing at the MLK Community Health Foundation. Speaking of resources, don't forget to go to our website as well and connect with us. We've still got some spots in the senior track of our mastermind program this fall, as well as the virtual cohort for uh, new development professionals this fall. So if you're interested in either of those, don't hesitate to check it out. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Lisa Baxter. Lisa, thank you for joining me on the path. Yes, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And, um, you know, it's a beautiful day out here in LA and just ready to, you know, share some of the of my experiences with you. So thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, delighted to do it, Lisa. And, and thank you for bringing a little bit of sunny day attitude. I think we all need that these days. It's been a, a difficult journey for nonprofits all over and their leaders. But I'm excited to kind of talk through your journey toward nonprofit leadership because I know our listeners will benefit from the lessons you've learned and uh, how that has helped you advance to, to do the great work you're doing now. So why don't we start with that? You know, how and why did you get into nonprofit work? You know, um, I always say that fundraising uh, is something that you don't choose. It chooses you. <laughs> right. At least, <laughs> at least that's the case for me. Um, I was actually a temp um, for uh, at Children's Hospital Los Angeles, and um, they asked me to come in for about a month or so to, you know, just do some administrative work. Um, it wasn't anything pertaining to fundraising. And then they found out that the person who I was, um, you know, taking the place of wasn't going to be coming back until another month. And so I think within two weeks, they're like, well, we need a fundraiser. So 
let's do it. And I'm like, <laughs> <Right>. okay. <laughs> and that truly is my introduction to fundraising. It was one of those things where it was, you know, either you sink or you swim. Wow. Um, I, you know, obviously I swam because I'm still swimming, you know, 12 years <laughs> after. Um, but yeah, I, um, so that's really uh, where I started my uh, fundraising career. Now, my first nonprofit job was at Big Brothers Big Sisters of Greater Los Angeles. I was a match support specialist there, but I was laid off after eight months. So um, I was kind of like in this in between where I was determining what I was going to do. And during that time, I actually had been uh, training to be a certified Kundalini yoga teacher. So I started my business during that time. And then when Children's Hospital called, I was like, okay, well, let's, let's see where this ends up. And so, you know, that, and so begins my, you know, career fundraising. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, you said it well, sometimes we don't choose it, but it shows you and obviously you've excelled at it. And we'll talk more about kind of that, that journey uh, to feeling comfortable. Cause I, as I've talked to you before, um, it hasn't always been comfortable. And so I like that yeah. you have had to persevere through some things that we'll talk about. But let me start back to the reality of, again, you brought an optimism to this, uh, the lifestyle in which we live now. Mm -hmm. But how has your work and productivity changed in this virtual environment now that we're all having to deal with? You know, I, in my prior role, um, I've been in the role that I'm currently in. It'll be, it will be one year on the ninth of this month. However, prior to this role, for four years, I worked from home. So uh, once, you know, that was instilled, it really wasn't a big transition for me. It was just more of, well, I don't know if I'll be able to really balance my, <laughs> have those boundaries that I had, because, you know, when you leave work at 5 p.m., that's it, right? And you, you, know, you attend to your family and all of that. Right. And so for me right now, it's just really finding balance with that. And now that my son is, um, you know, going to school virtually, it's trying to figure out what, you know, makes the, the most sense. But the things that haven't changed is I still plan out my week on Sundays. I, I'm a planner girl. I do. I also have a digital calendar, but I like to write things down. So I nice. sit down on Sundays and I plan out my week. And what I mean by that is just putting down all the appointments that I know are going to happen and leaving room for flexibility. Um, and I, Prior to prioritize two or three items that will move me towards whatever goal that I'm working towards for that week. Um, and I really try not to go down the rabbit hole of email because, and what I mean by that is not allow that to be the first thing that I do, unless there's something that, you know, that I'm on deadline or it's, a, you know, something timely, or if my, you know, if my um, boss has a question or anything like that, but right. I'm, I'm really constantly reassessing my routine because I find that, just like, you know, I, in, in, I always say I had nine, I have nine lives. I also used to be a teacher in another life. I used to teach first grade and right. uh, creative writing to, uh, to um, middle school students and journalism to uh, seniors. And with them, you always have to constantly change things up, whether it's, you know, behavioral plan or whatever it is. And so I'm always constantly reassessing my routine. I think that has a lot to do with my background in that. Uh, and, you brought all these, yeah, and you brought all these experiences together to create this model that you now live. And 
Lisa, you, you, you made a comment to me one time that I thought is fascinating. You talk about your time as, as a currency. Talk about yeah. what, what that means, because I think that does drive, I believe, some of your kind of personal productivity. Absolutely. And, you know, um, a couple of years ago, I read, and I can't even remember where, where it was because I read so many different things, um, but it said, you know, think of your, your job as, um, you know, as uh, your time as currency. And one of the things that it said, if you're a director of development, think of it as, you know, you getting paid $2,000 uh, an hour. Yeah. And so when I thought about that, I'm like, oh my God, oh my goodness, whatever I'm doing better amount to that type, you know, to, to that level. So it's just always thinking about your time. And I, and I also say protecting it because there's so many other things that, that, you know, you can put, you know, focus on, but um, if you are focusing on the right things, then, you know, that, that currency will add up and, you know, you will then see the fruits of your labor. So that's something that I always try to remember is what am I doing today that is going to lend to my goals and the overall success of the, or fiscal success of the organization. Um, and, and that really has been something that has um, helped to make me successful. Love that. And obviously you've proven to be self-motivated and self-directed. I guess I want to go back, however, to when you first started, as you described, a sink or swim moment, which is unfortunate. But I think now that you and others are in more senior positions, we need to remember this as we hire people, <laughs> that the experience of a newcomer. I, let me go back to that, though, Lisa. What? How did you swim early? Well, I mean, were you not were you given good instruction as to what it means to be a fundraiser or you literally kind of learned on your own? I mean, I think it was both. I don't want to ever, you know, say that no one helped me because that's not the truth. It's just that there's a lot of things that, you know, you you need to learn as a fundraiser, whether it's, you know, you know how to dress professionally. There, I mean, I, I think back to the day that I went on my first donor meeting and I know what I was wearing was not professional. So right. there's things that you kind of, you know, <laughs> you, you fail and you keep on going. Um, and then, you know, just really the learning curve that came with it, you know, also, you know, how am I engaging with our donors? How do I speak to them? Because when I initially started, it was in corporate fundraising in the Children's Miracle Network Department. And so um, it was almost like you were running your own little business, right? You were the entrepreneur and you had all of these, you were, you were overseeing all of these different, what I call um, accounts. And then, you know, you had to really learn how to build relationships and understand, you know, what that, that ecosystem was. For example, um, one of my programs um, that I um, oversaw was Rite Aid. And so we had 250 stores. So it was my job to know all of those managers. It was my job to, you know, understand what each of them needed and then also to go visit them. So, you know, I recall driving all over creation. And I remember the one day that I was, you know, at a stoplight somewhere far deep in Lancaster and a tumbleweed <laughs> literally rolled across, oh my. <laughs> across the road. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like, you know, but, but I will say that, you know, those were the things that I learned. It was going that extra mile. Um, because, you know, me traveling out and meeting all these, all these managers, they said that no one had ever done that in that, in that, you know, in, in, in the time that they were working with the hospital. And so that's what I learned. Um, also, 
you know, the learning curve, sometimes your learning curve is longer than expected. I mean, currently right now, my, I'm, I'm constantly learning. There is every day I'm learning something new. So I don't ever, I, I don't think I'll ever feel like I know it all. And I think that's a really, um, a, a really good point to bring up because a lot of times, you know, we have our, our super season fundraisers and some of them think that that's it, you know, because they have those 40 years I've the, arrived. The 40 years. Yeah, yeah exactly. Arrived. Now, now, granted that, no, that is truly a blessing and honor. Um, but there's always something new to learn. And so I'm constantly learning and I learn from everyone. I don't care if you are, you know, you just came into fundraising or if you are the janitor, whatever I am learning <laughs> from everyone because, you know, that's really what life's about. And so I think that it was hard to, um, also navigate because at that time, out of a hundred fundraisers at Children's Hospital, I was the only African American one. So you know, right. there's this thing where it's like, if you see it, you can be it. So I really didn't have those examples, um, and so you know, it was just tough understanding how do I navigate in this space. You know, I I um, the way that I reconcile that is like, okay, if I look the part, if I speak the part, then, you know, that will, you know, be it. But then that can become a danger too, because, you know, as I found out now, later on in life, I wasn't really being my authentic self, you know. Um, Good way to put it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did, and and obviously we can unpack that a lot Mm -hmm. because you did not have other fundraisers of color to, to look to, and yet you had to kind of soldier through it. Were there resources or or advice you were given early on that helped you kind of break through that early stage uh, as a fundraiser? You know, there were there were definitely angels that I met along the way that were really uh, challenging me to um, really take up my my leadership staff. And what I mean by that is, you know, they said, hey, you know, we know that that you're a leader, but you have to believe it. And so I think for me, it's always been this uh, mind over matter thing that I really do my best to speak life into myself, to be my best cheerleader um, and not have to be validated by other people. Now, I'm not saying it's not nice to hear other people say good job or, you know, things like that. But for me, it's just having that, that, um, um, that um, uh, thought process that, you know what, it's okay if you mess up, yay, if you, if you do well, and just keep it moving, you know, and so I think that has really, you know, helped to serve me well, you know, and I, and I think that if you're not falling down and failing, then you're really not doing what you need to do exactly. to grow. You're, because, not, you're not trying hard, <laughs> yeah, <are> you? <laughs> you're not, you have to take risks, and I have took, taken so many, I have fallen down so many times, but it's really about getting back up, and I think one of my favorite quotes is, I never lose, either I win or I learn. And that is something that has really helped me mentally and spiritually, you know, as I've, you know, been navigating um, through this, uh, through my through my career journey. Love that. Um, how long did it take you, Lisa, to feel like you could be your authentic self? Ooh, yeah. So that's, that's a good one. <laughs> um, I will really say it's when I turned 43 and I'm going to be 44 on the 26th. So oh, it's so taken me a long, yes, wow. very recently. Yeah. And, and the reason why, and what I mean by that is to have it fully developed in myself that it is okay to be who you are. 
and still do the job that you do because, you know, when you're a fundraiser, you know that there's this certain, because I was, let me, let me um, dial back a little bit. I came into fundraising when it was still in the middle of being super traditional and then starting to get into the new school of fundraising where, you know, all the rules may not apply. Right. And so it was, um, it was, I felt like I was put in this box, you know, you have to look certain way, you have to speak a certain way, you have to do certain things. Now, I'm not going to say those were all bad things, they weren't. But for someone like me, who, you know, likes to express themselves in different ways. And the best thing that I best example I can give you is that I am the one wearing a hot pink suit in a sea of blue suits, right? (laughs) And so, you know, it can be a little bit hard when you are, you know, told, oh, you know, you don't want to dress better than or look better than the donor or what have you. And it's like, I'm not trying to do that. I'm just expressing myself. And, you know, so just being okay with being myself. And then the second phase is owning it. So that's what I'm in the phase of owning that. It's like, now I'm, I'm comfortable. I know who I am. And now it's owning it. And a lot of things feel different and uncomfortable because, because of that. But I can tell you that it's been the best thing because I think people, especially nowadays, they respond more to authenticity than they do to something that is contrived. And, um, you know, I think that this work there, you can't, it can't be something that's disingenuous, you know, because the work that we do at MLK is so, at Martin Luther King um, Community Hospital is so important. You know, we are telling, um, we are, we're uh, creating a different narrative for a community that has been told for so long that they don't matter. And, and so, you know, I think that it's really important to be genuine and really understand the needs of the community so that we can address them and then engage other people to really invest invest in the liberation of our of our community members it sounds like and and you were good before this authenticity i guess breakthrough but i'm Mm -hmm. i'm i'm assuming now you feel even better and perhaps even more effective in your role because you're not having to I guess, play the games you sometimes had to play? Yeah, I, you know, I definitely do because it's like a more, it's more of a comfort level, you know, before I think it was always a doubt, like, oh my gosh, should I have said that? Should I have done that? But it was something that was natural to me. Now I'm not saying I'm out here being unprofessional that (laughs) anybody get that. Let's be clear, right? Yeah. Let's be clear. (laughs) No, this is about my journey to just accepting who I am and, 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 and being able to um, show up as my whole self in everything, because, you know, you always have your work self and your personal self. And, you know, there's, there can be, you can have some overlap there and understanding what, you know, that, that line is and just being able to, you know, act accordingly. And I think there's, um, there's a lot of beauty in that. Um, I'm, I'm so much happier because of it. And, and the reason is because, you know, especially as a woman of color, so many things are policed about us, you know, the way that we dress, the way that we wear our hair. I mean, we had to get, you know, the crown act (laughs) just for us to allow ourselves to wear our hair in our natural state. Now think about that. That is something that is just, it's unacceptable, but, you know, so we had to get that bill passed Um, and, you know, shout out to Holly Mitchell for, for being at the head of that, Um, you know, or even the way that, you know, you, you lead, 
you know, has, for me personally has been questioned. And it's like, just because I lead a certain way doesn't mean that it's, that it's right or wrong. It just means that's the way that I lead. So let's, you know, have a conversation about that as opposed to be, it being a critical, you know, something that is criticized, right? So um, I think that it just, when you are, when you're good with yourself, when you get that type of feedback, you're able to take from it what you need to take from it and leave what you need to leave. And I think that is a beautiful thing. And I think that would be, that's, I think well that's put. something that everybody can relate to. You Indeed. Know? And I mm-hmm. wonder, Lisa, has it translated now as you've been involved in hiring people, you know, how do you look for, or I guess you look for that authenticity in the newer or younger members that are getting into nonprofit and philanthropy work? Yeah, so you know, in in this role that I have in particular, I'm I'm not hiring anybody. Um, this is the first role I've had where I'm not a man a manager per se. Right. And um, it's actually um, it actually is serving me well because I'm really learning the ins and outs of major gifts. But in my other roles, um, you know, I really had to understand that you know sometimes it it sometimes you have to look at things beyond the resume. You have to look beyond what the the job description is. And um, and I think that, you know, um, it really, you know, everyone has unconscious bias, but I think once you let go of some of those, those um, you know, those regimented ideas that you've had about what a fundraiser should look like, then it opens up a whole new world. Um, and so for me, it's really been about, that fire? Is it that, you know, that um, hunger to want to do well, that, you know, that person that's going to take the initiative, that person that has skills that will translate, you know, into um, the fundraising sector. And there's so many skills that translate to that. So um, I think it has been, um, I have, in my, in my experience, chosen some really great people that have gone on to do amazing things in fundraising. And a lot of times the people that I've hired have never worked in the fundraising sector. Um, Interesting. You know, yeah. And even the last person that I um, managed, you know, that person had never been um, in fundraising before. And now she's basically, um, I don't know if they've hired anyone new yet, but she's basically been running the department. So wow. to me, that is, that is success is because I saw those things, you know, it's that potential, it's that fire, it's that, you know what, I may not know this, this industry, but I'm going to learn and I'm going to, you know, do all that I can, uh, you know, to be successful. And so those are just some of the things that, you know, that I will share that's that. been helpful for me. Well, and, and, and again, whether you're officially managing folks, but I'm sure you serve as a mentor and a leader uh, I know you're active in AFP and other organizations mm-hmm. that I know your voice is one that I'm <laughs> sure people are listening to. Uh, as you were going though back to the journey, you know, mm-hmm. your journey to kind of an authentic feel for your work, mm-hmm. uh, you're getting better. Your confidence, I'm sure, was rising. Were there challenges of kind of moving up the ladder, so to speak? and Or did you find that the conversations became easier maybe with the administration and others that you were working for? You know what? I think there's always going to be learning challenges. Now, I have to share that, you know, my career has not been textbook. And what I mean by that is that after I, I um, went and moved from a children's hospital, so I was at children's hospital for five years. The majority of that was in uh, corporate fundraising. And then I did major gifts. Um, 
and uh, medical specialties. Then I went on to uh, Make-A-Wish Greater Los Angeles, where I was the director of corporate development there. And, and then I went to Starlight Children's Foundation, um, where I was also leading up corporate. And then I was the director of development after school all Stars Los Angeles. Now, for Make-A-Wish and um, Starlight, what happened was I was brought over by, you know, some very trusted people, but it didn't work out for them in their role. And so they left within a month or so. <laughs> so wow. at both places, I was there stuck kind of, in a sense, leading myself, um, you know, and, and navigating through those waters. And so there were always, you know, different challenges and different um, barriers that I had to break through. And then, you know, the last role that I had, it was it was great, but you know sometimes um, you may not get all of the support that you need as a, as a fundraiser to move forward, and so it kind of felt like, you know, it was um, it, it it just felt like I needed um, more room to grow, and so when I think back to my uh, my experiences, I don't necessarily look at the you know, the, the bad things that happened. I looked at the things that, that, um, that came because the growth that came out of those things, right. To me, those are the good things. Those are the things that what you focus on. You learn from what I, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it was really about, you know, leading yourself and, um, you know, that's that, I think that, you know, I, you know, I love John C. Maxwell and that's one of his first, um, five rules for lifting your leadership lid is like everyday lead yourself. So, I learned that. Now, when I came into my new position, this is the first time that I had, you know, someone that has been, you know, in in the field for a long time, well-respected. And so I really had to learn how to take a step back, how to now, you know, not uh, know that I don't have to um, do everything and that, you know, and take a step back and learn and, and just be able to, um, you know, really, um, go through that, you know, that initial, those initial stages of learning that I didn't have a chance to do in those other, those other places. And so I think every place that I've been to has been, um, has presented some type of learning curve and I'm still in my learning curve in my position right now, you know, because COVID, COVID came and it was like, okay, switch hats, you know, and now we're back to major, you know, gift fundraising a different way. And, you know, so um, yeah, I just think that it's something that is always going to be. And I'm glad because I think that I would get really bored if I wasn't learning or if I felt if I felt comfortable. Like, and when I say I feel uncomfortable, it's a good thing because I'm growing. Good, um, good yeah. way to put it. And, mm-hmm. and I, I love your lifelong learning attitude, which I want to unpack even more. Mm-hmm. But I have to go back to, and, and again, struck by the, mm-hmm. the lonely world you started as a woman of color and not many fundraisers or nonprofit leaders around you. Um, are you seeing some positive signs there, Lisa? I know you're active there, again, AFP and others, but tell me what, what is the environment like and how do we get a, a better diversity uh, in terms of our leadership and nonprofit? Yeah, you know, I definitely am seeing some changes. I recently became a member of um, 
of Woke, W-O-C, and that it was created by a woman of color and she wanted to create spaces nice. that, you know, were primarily for women of color, but, you know, doesn't, ex that, but includes everybody. Um, and so I think that has been so helpful to see that on a very, on a national scale. Also, my involvement um, at the Association of, of uh, Fundraising Professionals for the Greater Los Angeles has really been so instrumental in also my healing, you know, because um, as a woman of color, not only do you experience certain things in just, you know, in, in, in life, you also experience things in, in, within the, you know, the, the, um, the corporate sector, your, your, your sector. Your profession, and so, right, yeah, right. your profession. So it was a part of my healing. I, you know, and I was like, you know, in order for me to heal, I need to be involved. I need to do something. I can't just sit on the sidelines. And so, um, you know, three years ago, I was, I became a committee member for the um, inclusion, diversity, equity, and access committee. And then I was a co-chair last year. And then this year they asked me to be the chair. And a couple of weeks ago, I was actually um, inducted as a, the VP nice. of IDEA, which is awesome. And that's something that has never been done before. So I'm now on the executive board. I also sit on the board, but I'm also now on the part of the executive board. And then they asked me to serve another year which is something that usually you just do one year term. And so I think that, you know, um, for me, um, I think that I've had so much support from AFP. Um, I early on, uh, right after um, the, I think it was the second week that George uh, Floyd was murdered, I sent an email out to the entire board and I just shared with them what my experience has been as a black woman, as a, wow. as a fundraiser. And this is the result of that. And now we're also going to be um, presenting to um, AFP Global on some wow. of the things that we've been able to do. We just had a, an amazing um, webinar on unconscious bias led by Vicki Clark, who I know everyone's familiar with. And then on September 15th, we'll be doing um, just, we'll just be having a webinar that's facilitated by Candid that's going to give um, the opportunity for people just to have conversations about race and, non and nonprofits. And I think that that is the goal. It's that everyone should be aware about what's happening, but that everyone should be able to come to the table and share their feelings and not feel afraid that they're going to say the wrong thing. And, you know, we're not going to always get it right. And so I think that I'm definitely seeing more changes. Um, I don't think that it's it's a trend. I think that was the one thing that everybody was hoping. Let's not just, you know, let this not be just a trend. I think it's something that is going to be a continuous thing. And not just, I want to point out, it's not just about continuing the conversation. It's about having these conversations and taking action so that we can see, you know, the changes in, you know, the um, hiring practices, you know, even in the way that we write job descriptions and also in, you know, figuring out how can we um, navigate our unconscious bias so that we can open up our eyes to, you know, different types of people that, so that we can all, you know, so that when I walk into a room, I will see a kaleidoscope of people that from all different backgrounds, ethnicities, every, just from every place possible, and that they are allowed to show up as their whole selves in these spaces. And so that for me, that is my purpose here is to, you know, continue that because I don't want anybody to feel as lonely as I did. Yes. Um, I, yes. I did get mentors, but that was more, you know, later on in my career. And for, and, um, you know, if anybody wants advice or anything like that, I am always open to that, you know, because I didn't really have that help or honestly, I didn't know 
who to ask or how to ask for it, you know? So I think that now it's very different. And I'm so, I'm so excited about the, the new generation that's coming up because they'll have all of these resources available to them and they will be able to see people that look like them and know that they can achieve, you know, what they want to achieve in their career. Well, uh, delighted. You're pioneering some things that are long overdue. And of course, every community, I think, particularly in the nonprofit sector, is talking about being more diverse and you're translating these kind of ideas into action. In fact, I want to lift up in our show notes, maybe the woke organization, uh, Mm -hmm. of course, idea from AFP and and the the candid webinar you said is coming up. Uh, Maybe that's something else we could link to for our, our listeners. Awesome. Yes, I'll definitely give you that info. Um, the the um, thing I'm struck, and again, I got to give you credit for some very cool phrases that I have I noted in our conversation. <laughs> you, you make the point, it's cognitive diversity. So yes. diversity, we talk about in a lot of ways, I think typically aligned with race and ethnicity. Mm-hmm. But you've talked about, you want to go into a room with cognitive diversity. I wonder if you could Absolutely. elaborate on that again. Yeah, cognitive diversity. I mean, that's that's what you get when you have people that are sitting at the table that have had different experiences. You know, perhaps they are, you know, part of into different cultures or different religions or just overall, it's not, you know, people sitting at the table that have the same, that have uh, done the same thing. And so when you bring those people in a room, I mean, that's where the magic happens, you know, it's, it's, it's being able to see things from a different perspective, um, uh, from different um, outcomes that a person has experienced. And it's just really being able to look at those differences as something that is valuable. Um, because when we all think the same, how are we going to move forward? How, you know, how, we, how are we going to disrupt the system, right? right how are we going right. to change these things if we don't have different perspectives? Um, and we don't allow that, you know, there's, I've been in some organizations that you can't even present ideas if they're not fully fleshed out. And I, and I never understood that because, you know, sometimes there may be an idea, it may not be the idea you choose, but it may spark another and another. And so, you know, having people sitting at the table that, you know, and, 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 and sharing all of their brilliant ideas is all I think is really um, what we need in terms of collaboration. And you will see the difference in your bottom line because it yes. will help you, you yes. know, move that project forward or, you know, um, fun, you know, look at things differently, you know, especially where donors are concerned because donors don't, you know, all look one way. Donors are, you know, different. I mean, we're, you know, uh, we just finished, you know, Black Philanthropy Month and you know, it's really understanding that, you know, there's donors everywhere. They just need to be asked. So um, I think coming to the table with that creative, you know, um, idea in your head, that, that creative um, vibe, I think is really going to lend to, um, you know, how, how our, our organizations thrive, especially in these uncertain times. It's well put, and it's not just the right thing to do, but it also, as you put it, benefits the bottom line of our organizations. If we're more cognitively diverse in our thinking, uh, it'll benefit us internally and externally. And so I love that you're bringing that to your leadership now. And, and you know, I guess as, as you moved into a, quote, senior leadership, um, I'm struck by the fact that, Lisa, you're still very focused on your professional development, your lifelong learning. I wonder if you might speak to that where, in other words, you could rest on your laurels, so to speak, 
and just keep doing your work. But I don't sense you're one that rests on your laurels. <laughs> no, because, you know, this industry, it just changes so much, right? Uh, I mean, right. like I shared with you, when I came in, it was kind of on the cusp of that traditional fundraising. And now what I call the new school of fundraising, where there's not exactly any rules per se. It's just what works best. It's more, I think, more transformational, more um, uh, personalized. It's really, really different. And again, not, I'm not going to, I'm not shading the old school because I think there's a lot of main um, tenants and foundational things that come from that and that are so helpful and that are always going to, you know, help um, you know, lend to, to whatever you're doing in that, in that sector. But, um, yeah, I think that, um, my, my quest for always learning is always helpful for me because I'm always reading something. I'm always taking part in some webinar. You know, I have, um, a couple of um, folks like the Virtus group. I love them. So I always, you know, read their emails, even Pamela Grow. you know, when I was at, um, my prior, my prior, role, I, you know, I, I um, did a lot of webinars with her, I even had a chance to talk with her on the phone. And that was really helpful with my success there. Um, and, you know, the Association of Fundraising Professionals, I mean, in the in the global chapter, they have so many resources, I mean, coming out every day that I really take advantage of. And like I said, learning from everyone, I mean, I truly look at everyone as a teacher, and my experiences, and I'm, I'm, and I'm definitely not a textbook fundraiser. I think that what makes me different, that is what makes me different, um, because I always say I kind of learned the hard way <laughs> in terms of, you know, I didn't go to school for this. I just like, you know, learn by falling down and getting back up, and that really made it, me better. And I think that it helped me also avoid other potential barriers on my journey, because sometimes too, if you are too rigid in the way things look, then you're not able to be adaptive. And I am super adaptive. I'm super flexible. I'm able to pivot as needed because of the way that, you know, that I learned. Um, and, you know, and like I mentioned before, you know, John C. Maxwell, um, you know, I listen to him a lot. And I love, again, going back to his five rules for lifting your leadership lid, you know, every day lead yourself, every day add value to people. Oh, I love that one. Cause it's like, how am I going to add value to my team, you know, to my team today or to donors today, or how am I going to be a resource for them? You know, every day read leadership, every day practice leadership and every day intentionally grow. I mean, I think those are the most beautiful things. Like, you know, when you (laughs) think about that, that's really, you know, as a leader, that are, those are really the things that you need to be thinking about every day. And I think my favorite one is going to always be every day add value to people. Because when you're adding value to people, you're, you're, you know, that means that you're listening to them, what their needs are, and meaning that you're also, you know, there to support them, you know, as needed. And then, you know, then will come the day when they say, you know what, what can I do? And, you know, those are the most beautiful words that a fundraiser can ever hear. What can I do? How do you need me to help? You know, and um, I think that's being very, and that's a very genuine thing. Um, yes. And that's something Speaking that comes of from the heart. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Speaking of your authenticity and I'm struck Lisa by your, your kind of, you, you dive into every day clearly with uh, uh, the attitude and, and kind of direction that, uh, do you also have kind of annual goals or how would you describe your kind of personal long range planning if uh, that's something you embrace? 
Oh yeah, we definitely do. I, I definitely do have, um, you know, our, my annual goals. Actually, we just, <laughs> we just completed them. And so, um, you know, this year I have to raise a little over $2 million. Um, obviously there's, you know, other things to break that down, but, um, you know, I think the beauty of that is we have such a, we have such an amazing team that, and we are accountable to each other. And I think that's the most important thing that we're accountable to each other and that we support each other. And so I think there's no doubt that we'll all be able to complete our goals because everything is intersected. So we work together, like everyone has each other's goals. So they're like, okay, this is how I fit into this, this is how I fit into that. So if anything comes up, uh, we're able to, you know, share that information and collaborate or, or how I like to say, co-elevate each other. Nice. Um, right. And yeah, and then I have my personal goals. So one of the things that I want to do is um, complete my CFRE. So that's something nice. that yep. I'm working towards. And then, you know, just really figuring out, well, what is the next step? What, what do I want to do from here? Um, I literally, and you know, not a lot of people like to talk about it in this way, but I literally have gone where God has told me to go. And yep. so right yep. now it's just like, you know, what is that? Does it, does it look like, you know, a CDO or ED of an organization or what have you? And I'm not, I'm not speaking about right now, but like, you know, five years from now or 10 sure. years from now, sure. what does that look like for me in my trajectory? So just really thinking about what does that look like? So those are things that I'm, you know, thinking about right now. Well, um, and we'll look forward to following that journey because I know it's going to be uh, impressive. And speaking of your goals, and of course, I know you will articulate this better than I, those dollars you're raising are for a very important cause. You know, the work you're doing at MLK Community Health Foundation. In, in fact, I, I know your your CEO made the, the quote, I guess, or comment about the healthcare work you're doing is really social justice work. And I wonder if you could speak to that. You know, what's it like to be fundraising in healthcare right now. Oh yeah, it's um, it's so eye-opening. I'm I'm going to tell you, I am a resident of South Central, but I knew that you know there were certain um, you know chronic conditions. But when you don't know the numbers, that's when it becomes a whole different story. You know, we have um, 1.3 million residents in this area. 70% are Latinx. 23% are African American one third of below the, the federal po um, poverty level and 42% have no high school degree. Right. And, and due to the low reimbursement rates um, or results, actually, um, there's a severe physician shortage. Um, our community has a deficit of 1,200 doctors. So that's 500 primary care doctors, 700 and specialties for chronic conditions. Right. And that is a direct um, result of that. And so that means that you know, our, if, if, if not, if not only our, our I mean, if our um, community members don't have access to quality health care, and at the same time, there's not enough doctors to provide, you know, those, those specialty services for those chronic conditions that they are experiencing, then how will our community thrive? And that's where we talk about, you know, healthcare, social justice, I mean, right. you know, we, we need, um, access for all, quality access for all, health healthcare access for all. And we also need um, our folks to, people to understand that, you know, the only thing standing in between us and the entire world is opportunity. And, and so um, MLK has been able to provide that for our community members. Um, it has been um, it has really been about building trust because if you know our story, you know that this is kind of like, 
I will say the second coming. This is our, this is the, the second coming of the first coming. And what I mean by that is <laughs> right. that, you know, in, in 1965, you know, we had the Watts riots and then they did this survey. And from that survey, they determined that the most important need, one of the most important needs was having a community hospital. And so that's in 1972, the doors of King Drew Medical Center open. But because of poor mismanagement, and it was just, you know, it wasn't ran correctly. In 2007, it closed its doors. Now, it needed, those doors needed to be closed, but we still were in need of a community hospital. Sure. So in 2015, Martin Luther King Community Health Hospital was opened, and we've been open for five years. And one of the most important things was that it had to be different. So we are actually the first public-private partnership in the state of California. So the public part of it is LA County, we are on their, you know, we are um, on in their on their land. We utilize their space, um, so their infrastructure. Also, they help to provide IGT, which is indigent care funds. And then we have UCLA as our public partner. They help us with physician recruitment and graduate graduate medical education. And then the private part of that is Martin Luther King Community Hospital. We run wow. the hospital. Right. And yep. then um, MLK Community Health Foundation provides the private support for that. And so, you know, when we again go back to healthcare and social justice, when you think about all of those, you know, those those different areas where we need help, I mean, it's like diabetes. Um, the rate is three. 0.3 times higher than the rest of the state. The mortality is 72% higher and over 20% of our patients have behavioral health disorders. Our life expectancy here is 10 years right. shorter than the state average. So when you talk about healthcare, social justice, I think that's proof Says in it and all. of itself. Yeah. Yes, indeed. And, 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 but for us, when we, I talk about change of the narrative, it's not a, it's not this sob story. It's on one hand, we have, we understand, you know, the chronic conditions and the social determinants that are getting in the way of our community members thriving. And then on the other hand, we have excellence, right? We have us bring, being prepared, we have the infrastructure, and we have the innovation, and we put those two together. And that is how we've been able now to become a national model, um, where, you know, where now it's, you know, we're all digital hospital, our patient satisfaction uh, scores are among the top 10% in the nation. Um, we're among the top third of hospitals in the U.S. in terms of leap, leapfrog patient safety. Our maternity care is recognized among the best in the state of California. And, you know, I think people should understand how huge that is because of, you know, we, uh, of the um, issues around uh, African-American um, women, um, you know, dying in childbirth. And we, have, and we have been able to now become a model for other hospitals, you know, uh, in, in California. So... Even though, you know, those, those, um, you know, those numbers are bad, we are still, we are doing all we can to live up to that, to our mission. And that's to provide, you know, quality collaborative care for those that deserve it most and give, and giving them what they need. And I think that um, that's something to be so proud of. Absolutely. And I can hear the energy in your voice, Lisa, that <laughs> it, it's, it's such important work, but obviously it makes it rewarding for you, I know, to, to be an ambassador and a fundraiser for a cause like that. And so yeah. I'm grateful. And of course, I'm grateful for everything you've shared because there are so many leadership lessons here. And I knew that our conversation would uh, create them. Is there anything else you would offer someone 
starting in the nonprofit field or would you reinforce all lots of good advice you've already shared, but I wanted to give you a chance as we close. Um, I would just say, I think they're very simple, really have a deep understanding of who you are, because when you have that, then you will know how to navigate anything that comes your way. Um, And truly believe in the mission of the cause you're raising money for. I have seen so many, all different types of fundraisers. And I know the type that are just there for a check. And I know the type that are really there because they really want to help. And so truly believe in the mission because the mission is what you are going to go back to on those days that are not so great (laughs) that, (laughs) that you're like, Oh my goodness, help me. And you will go back to the mission and you will understand that it is bigger than any emotion, emotional, anything that you can go through that this, the cause is bigger than that. You are helping people now you're helping to engage people in investing in South LA. You are helping to also liberate a community so that you can build, you know, some uh, community that is rooted in health and wellness. And those are the things that I go back to. So those are the two main things that I would say. Great advice. Well put. And I'll ask you only for one more parting gift. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe you have more than one gift. Uh, You know, I ask all of my guests to share maybe a book or two that has been meaningful to them on their professional journey. So Lisa, what would you say uh, would fit the bill for that question? Yeah, I love the ask, how to ask for support for your nonprofit cause, project, or business venture by Laura Fredericks. That's always been, you know, that's a standard. Um, The first 90 days, proven strategies for getting up to speed faster and smarter by Michael D. Watkins. And and the tried and true, how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie. I mean, those are like the the main things. And then in terms of management, um, this is something that I was, um, that was shared with me during my time at After School All Stars, and that's the heart of coaching, using transformation coaching to create high performance coaching um, culture by Thomas Crane. That's wonderful. You have, mm-hmm. that is a collection in and of itself. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> uh, you went all the way back to the classics of Dale Carnegie and some yeah. um, uh, oldies and goodies, but uh, thank you, Lisa. This is fantastic. And Of course, I know our listeners benefit from your journey and the good work you continue to do. So um, where can folks go, I I guess, to learn more about you and the work you're doing at MLK Community Health Foundation? Yes, well, you can find me on LinkedIn and then you can go to www.mlkch.org. We will happily include that in the show notes and continue to share your story. And Lisa, I just want to thank you again for joining me on the path. Thank you, Pat, and I really, really appreciate it. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Lisa as much as I did and came away with some practical ideas that can help you on your career journey and enhance all of the options that are before you. Don't forget the show notes available on our website, patmcdowell.com, where you can find out more about Lisa's great ideas and her book recommendations in particular. As always, please share this episode with someone else on the path. If you haven't already, you can subscribe. Just go to the podcast page at patmcdowell.com, and you'll see links to all of the primary platforms. Don't miss out on any of these weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday, as well as bonus features we're producing at least once a month. Thanks for all you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now. And keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week, 
and I'll see you next time on The Path.